Listener Production. Hello, it is Friday, the 25th of June. Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Jan, is this wedding going ahead or what's the update? Um, So far, it's still happening, but things keep changing. So we're just monitoring. I don't know. How many guests? Ah, there's like, look, it is a big fat Lebanese wedding. There's about 400 people. (laughs) I don't know if they will all come now that we have to wear masks unless we're eating or drinking. We're all just watching the news. Well, look, from my experience at a wedding, you're eating and drinking the whole time. That's what I'm going to be doing. My mouth is going to be going the whole time at that wedding, don't you worry. Well, I'm officially not going to New Zealand next weekend. No, that's right. They've extended the travel bubble, haven't they? I thought they might do that. It was optimistic. Yeah, very, very clear. That will not be possible. I'm sure there's a lot of sympathy. None for me. I'm not asking for any either, actually. On today's briefing, I guess as, as these restrictions kick in, people really ask the question about where the vaccine is up to. And we're looking into this question of whether Australia missed a massive opportunity to get all the Pfizer doses we needed in a meeting last July. They wanted to make Australia an example to the world about how to roll out a bit like Israel or other places. And they said, how much do you want and when do you want it? Yeah, on today's show, we're going to explore the accusations that Australia could have had a Pfizer rollout like Israel. Yeah, the government say they got as many doses as were offered at the time. So we'll explore those claims and counterclaims right after these headlines. Well, leading health experts have criticised New South Wales' handling of Sydney's COVID outbreak. I'm saying that Sydney should be put into lockdown as more cases from the new Delta strain are uncovered. This time, they've had a very slow increase in numbers and then a very high peak, which is quite unusual for this uh, variant of concern. But I still think that they should have gone into a sharp lockdown to stop people from particularly wandering over the weekend. That's epidemiologist Professor Mary Louise McClaws speaking on the ABC's Q&A last night. I mean, is that really a high peak, low double digits? Well, she'd know more than the two of us, frankly. Mm. Um, New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant yesterday did rule out a three-day lockdown after another day of double-digit new cases. So she said that contact tracers were already keeping up with the virus and that there was no need for it. Yeah, they announced just one uh, mystery case amongst the 11 new COVID cases yesterday. Premier Gladys Berejiklian said her state and she acknowledged this, was facing the scariest period of the pandemic so far. Yeah, now Professor Bill Botel from UNSW's Kirby Institute also told the Q&A program that the Premier's comments were correct, it is a scary period, but that a lockdown would be the only way to get on top of new clusters. The Premier's right to say this is a very scary moment, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's a scary moment and then think, well, it's business as usual. We only have one weapon in our armoury, unfortunately, and that's a short, sharp lockdown. Again, not an expert, but I disagree. There's lots of different parts of our armoury. The scariest moment was when we had a cruise ship with hundreds of cases of COVID walking into the city. Again, I'm always just going to defer to the epidemiologists on mm. this one. I mean, the Sydney outbreak ceded two cases to Melbourne. Um, authorities have confirmed that a man who recently returned from Sydney passed the virus onto a work colleague. So that um, outbreak there now stands at two. It caused a lot of havoc for our politicians yesterday, COVID. The Agriculture Minister in New South Wales tested positive. Mm. And there was a moment in federal politics where our Deputy Prime Minister who's in the kind of prime ministerial chair in the House of Representatives, they thought that maybe he was a close contact. This is Barnaby Joyce. But it turned out that he wasn't and he came into the chamber an hour or so after that was announced. Gladys got a test and the health minister in New South Wales as well. Yeah, a lot of close calls. 
Fans have come out in support of Britney Spears as the singer appealed to a LA court to end her conservatorship. Hey, hey, ho, ho, conservatorship has got to go. What do we want? Free Britney. Yeah, Britney has got some um, pretty hardcore fans and they were outside the courtroom there chanting, as you just heard. Um, she addressed a judge via a phone link and she described the conservatorship arrangement as quote-unquote abusive and said that she wanted her life back. Yeah, so this legal arrangement, and we don't have exactly the equivalent thing here in Australia, but it means basically that her affairs are controlled by her father, who had this conservatorship put in place by a court in 2008 after Brittany was hospitalised for mental health issues. Yeah, she said, though, that it is preventing her from living her life, not just from controlling her money, but also it's preventing her from getting married. And this I found really hard to read. It's preventing her from removing this contraceptive device because she wanted to have more children and those who are in charge of her wouldn't let her remove the IUD which sounds like forced sterilisation to me, which is heinous. Yeah, it's hard to see how this arrangement can still be fair all these years on. So I'll be very interested or intrigued to see the other side of this argument when it plays out in court. Yeah, I think we're all sort of, I mean, I don't want to use the word complicit, but, you know, when all of this stuff was happening with Britney and she had the breakdown in the mid-2000s, Everyone sort of treated it as a joke and the media went really hard after her. And even now with her Instagram, people are like, what's going on with Britney, you know? I think we all have to kind of take a long, hard look at ourselves and our role in it a little bit. But what was our role? What were we supposed to do? Intervene? Uh, I don't know. Maybe just call out people who treated her really badly, call out those who were making jokes about her. I don't think it would have stood now. I think there's a very different environment now than what there was 20 years ago. And the treatment of somebody who's just had two kids that's clearly going through something pretty horrible, a mental health crisis, I think we've got a lot more reverence for mental health now than what we did back Mm, then for sure. That's true. Hundreds of unmarked graves have been uncovered at a school in Canada. Yeah, Indigenous leaders in the province of Saskatchewan revealed overnight that an investigation using radar technology had revealed at least 600 bodies were buried around the former school for Indigenous children. This discovery comes several weeks after the remains of 215 children were found on a site of another former school in British Columbia. Community leaders have described the burials as a crime against humanity. They've also called for an apology from the Pope for the actions of the Catholic-run school. From the 19th century up until the 1970s, more than 150 thousand Indigenous children in Canada were forced to attend these state-funded Christian schools and that was part of a campaign to assimilate them into Canadian society. And Donald Trump's former lawyer Rudy Giuliani has been suspended from practising law in his home state of New York. This was after he claimed last year's election was stolen. A court found the former New York City mayor had communicated demonstrably false and misleading statements about the 2020 election while representing Trump. Yeah, now it comes after um, Giuliani had his New York apartment raided by the FBI at the end of April. That was part of an investigation into his dealings in the Ukraine. Mm. Yeah, so Trump's former right-hand man is under some some eyes right now, some pretty serious legal scrutiny. My resounding memory of Giuliani, and and he really was the main mouthpiece for Donald Trump, particularly in the lead-up to the 2020 election. But my main memory of him is standing outside the Four Seasons total landscaping, just sweating profusely and (laughs) 
shouting at the media and that'll forever be my memory of Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, this guy's been practising as a lawyer since the 60s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the mayor of New York City from 1994 to 2001, so not being able to do the thing that he does in his state, I imagine, would come as a pretty big blow to him. I'm really wondering where his life is going to end up. You know, I'm not wondering too much about that. Good luck to him. Pretty dramatic. And staying in the United States, a 12-storey apartment building has collapsed in the city of Miami. Yes, sniffer dogs have been deployed to scour the wreckage which collapsed late last night, our time. Um, At the time we've recorded this podcast, one person was confirmed dead, but they say as many as 99 are still missing. The pictures are horrific, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, it's just, it's this building that has completely, well, partially collapsed um, and no doubt this will be a developing story over the next few hours, days, possibly weeks, so keep an eye out. In just a moment, did we miss a massive opportunity with Pfizer? Well, our vaccine rollout isn't going great. Uh, So far, only 2.8% of Australians have been fully vaccinated. Yeah, in Israel, they're at 57% fully vaccinated. And in Israel, they backed the Pfizer vaccine. And in Australia, we bet a bit harder on the AstraZeneca vaccine. Mm. That's panned out quite badly, hasn't it? Yep. Yeah, this week we learnt that the AstraZeneca vaccine, thanks to its blood clot issues, will actually be phased out entirely by October. So that's bringing the decision... um, not to put more eggs in the Pfizer basket into very sharp focus. And earlier this month, ABC journalist Dr Norman Swan made a very strong claim. He said that we had the same Pfizer opportunity as Israel last year. I've now had three sources telling me the same story, one including from the United States, of what happened with Pfizer last June. And if these three separate sources are right, what happened with Pfizer last June is that they wanted to make Australia an example to the world about how to roll out, a bit like Israel or other places. And they said, how much do you want and when do you want it? And on the 10th of July, there was a meeting. And what I'm told happened at that meeting was that there was an inexperienced person there with procurement. And they said, oh, they were pretty rude at the meeting. And they said, well, you're going to have to give us all your IP, which is you know, an amazing thing to have said, and started nickel and diming on the cost. And essentially, this, the, the conversation stopped. And then they came back in November, Commonwealth, and only got 10 million doses. They should have ordered 40 million so that we've got enough as a true backup. We didn't know what was going to go happening then. And I suspect that some of the experts that were advising them told them that the mRNA vaccine wasn't going to be any good. Don't bother. Um, You know, I'd love to know what happened in that room. Those are the questions I'd like to ask. Maybe I've been doing this too long over the last year. I'm getting a bit tired, but I'm just really angry. The, The level of incompetence is breathtaking. Yeah, that was Dr Norman Swan there making a very strong claim. Now, the federal government is disputing that claim entirely. Here is what Greg Hunt, the health minister, said about it last week. That uh, meeting was in fact uh, held at a very high level. The head of the vaccine program, I guess you'd say the equivalent of a two-star general within the public service context. We've secured um, all of the available doses um, at the earliest possible time. Um, that could have been done and Pfizer's confirmed that. So two very different versions of events there. We also asked Pfizer for a statement on these claims and they said Claims raised about the meeting between Pfizer and the Australian government on July 10, 2020 are incorrect. Then further down in the statement, Pfizer say that they proposed to the Australian government the procurement of 10 million doses of their vaccine 
and that was the number initially contracted by the government. Yeah, the thing with the statement, though, is that it doesn't say when they proposed those 10 million doses. Uh, Was it, in fact, July 10 in that meeting? Was it November? Was it yesterday? We don't know. They haven't been specific about that. So Bill Botel is a professor who's been following this really closely. These days, he's an adjunct professor at the New South Wales Uni's Kirby Institute. Before that, he was one of the architects of Australia's response to the HIV AIDS pandemic. So, Bill, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. We're hearing two conflicting narratives. What do you believe to be the truth? Well, I don't see they're necessarily uh, conflicting. Uh, It's very clear that about July last year, Pfizer and Moderna, the representatives of those companies, were beginning discussions with the Australian government about having priority access to their vaccine production. Now, this was a very fast-moving period, but there's no doubt that Pfizer, Moderna, as pharmaceutical companies, was on the public record. They were going around the world to seek investment and to give options to get priority access. Some countries, almost all countries, in fact, comparable countries to Australia, came to deals with those vaccine manufacturers roughly about that time. Most particularly, the United Kingdom put their procurement process in the hands of an excellent private equity executive, Kate Bingham, now Dame Kate Bingham, for her work. And her strategy, a simple one, was to back every horse in the race because nobody could know in the middle of 2020 who was going to produce a vaccine at all that might work, but which of them might work. Australia took the opposite approach. They decided to pick two winners, one uh, based at the University of Queensland, which was uh, highly speculative, but nevertheless worth backing. And the other one was to uh, secure a deal with um, Oxford and AstraZeneca and then to put that onto a manufacturing deal with CSL in Melbourne. They thought they had two aces. They turned out to be two deuces. And to mix a metaphor, we didn't back every horse in the race. And that's why today, a year later, we have about 3% fully vaccinated, where, for example, Israel, which did a very good deal with Pfizer, has 57% fully vaccinated. So the difference in the two stories, you've got Norman Swan there saying that Pfizer offered us whatever we wanted at that point, and Greg Hunt saying we got as much as we were offered, which was 10 million doses. So what do you believe to be true? Norman Swan has three sources. Uh, I have my own sources. I've been in in and around government and health for uh, four decades since we helped to do the response to HIV and AIDS. So I'm not really interested in the very carefully constructed passing of who said what to whom in July. Pfizer and Moderna were seeking investment. Now, what went on in one particular room at one particular time That's up to the government to release the documents, all the advice and information in the minutes. And in due course, one would hope, in the interest of proper governance in Australia, all of that documentation will be known. The Prime Minister of Israel at the time, Mr Netanyahu, pursued the head of Pfizer Global relentlessly to the point, I think he's put in 30 phone calls to make sure that Israel secured that priority access. We needed Pfizer and Moderna more than they needed us. Bill, I'm just curious about what 
you think happened at that meeting? Because Norman seems to think that somebody was negotiating who wasn't up to the task and we completely bungled an offer to get Pfizer vaccinations. What do you know about what happened at that meeting in July of last year? I'm not in a position to know a particular meeting on a particular date, but I think it's very clear to say that whoever was uh, in charge of the Australian um, procurement decision and negotiating with these companies was not up to the task. Pfizer and Moderna are two of the most serious and biggest pharma companies in the world. The other ones were not. They had no experience in vaccine manufacturing. They were not big pharma companies. So when you're negotiating for the best possible deal with two of the biggest pharma companies in the world in a highly fluid environment to get a great prize like priority access to vaccines, you had better put your best person in the job. Well, no deal was struck. Do you think that we should have, I mean, as you said, we've backed two horses, they've turned out to be potentially the wrong horses. Are you saying we should have backed more than two horses? So We should have backed every horse in the race. That was the United Kingdom approach. Their strategy was to put money behind every horse. Of course, you had to back Astra. You had to back University of Queensland. But you also had to back Pfizer and Moderna. So sometime towards the end of 2020, the red alarm bells should have been going off at level 10 and said, my goodness, the American FDA has not approved Astra, but has or is about to approve Pfizer. So there was a second chance towards the end of the year. And I think that's when, if you like, the nerve cracked, that they then went to Pfizer to try to put in a lot more order. But by that time, it was too late. And we went to the back of the queue. And I, without knowing, I don't think Pfizer was that motivated to help Australia by the end of 2020. So, Bill, how do you know that we were offered the same or a similar deal to what Israel got? Whether we were offered or failed to pursue it is a semantic question, but the effect is the same. I am separately quite sure, as far as one can be, and I've heard from other sources than I think the sources that Dr. Swan had access to, much the same story. When you say your sources, are you talking on the federal government side here in Australia or the Pfizer side? uh, Both. It would be an academic discussion only of who said what to whom in a room in Canberra a year ago would be of academic interest, in a sense, who cares, except that the public policy failing has been appalling. We are today in Australia 3% fully vaccinated. 75% of people have not been vaccinated at all. AstraZeneca has fallen over. The federal government has pulled the rug on it, right? They said that we're not going to recommend it. Well, what Mm. will that do to AstraZeneca Mm. demand? It It won't be good. The virus has been mutating faster than we have been vaccinating. Mm. Now, this is a a really serious dereliction of duty. I've been in government for a long time and I have not seen anything remotely that has been so mishandled as this procurement. So, Bill, what's the point of going over this um, alleged missed opportunity now? How can that help us move forward from this point? Well, we have got to rethink how we are running pandemic matters in Australia. The Australian government, from the beginning, has failed the public health test. In January, February last year, when the first inklings of it started to sweep the world, 
the Australian government decided they would let the virus in and let it run. They were in the hands of people who thought that herd immunity was a really good idea. In March last year, we were on the cusp of going down the way in which the United Kingdom, the United States, grievously mishandled the pandemic. On the run to illness and uh, deaths. On the 22nd of March, thankfully, sanity prevailed and the Australian premiers and chief ministers, propelled by the public health systems in the states, forced the country into lockdown. That was the single greatest thing that we did. Over the wishes and the criticism and the reluctance of the federal government and its advisers. The lives and livelihoods of Australians are materially affected by this failure. We have to do a lot better and there has got to be a very serious inquiry into the way in which the various actors in this, the state governments and federal governments and so on, acted because we are doing this by the skin of our teeth and the seat of our pants and the consequences of getting it wrong, as we're seeing now, are very serious. So let's not repeat it. That's Professor Bill Botel from the New South Wales Uni's Kirby Institute. Yeah, I get your your question to him about, you know, why are we talking about this now? It's done and dusted. Let's look forward. Let's not play, play the blame game looking at the past. I think it's important to have accountability here, though, particularly given that this is not the last pandemic we're going to see, according to experts at least. Um, if another one rolls around, we want to know exactly what mistakes we made the first time around so it doesn't happen again. Well, also, the federal government's going to go to an election sometime within the next year. Yeah. And I think when people are deciding who to vote for, there should be transparency on some of the key decisions they made or some of the key mistakes or triumphs yeah. that they've had in the last year. That is it for the weekday briefing. Um, Thankfully, it ain't over. There's the weekend briefing. Jamila, who's on this week? Tomorrow, you'll be hearing my conversation with Waleed Ali, who is, of course, one of the hosts on the project, as well as a writer for a bunch of newspapers and maker of podcasts and all sorts of things. He is someone who it's really hard to get to talk about himself, but I do get quite a bit of new stuff out of Waleed, so make sure you listen in. For that, as well as a really fascinating conversation about how media is changing in light of the coronavirus. Sounds really interesting. That's Waleed Ali on the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. I hope you enjoy that and your weekend. Stay safe uh, wherever you are. We'll catch you Monday. Listener.